You're listening to Fit in Focus, a podcast from Fitbit, where we talk about all things health and wellness, from the science and business of health to what motivates people on their own health journey. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Fit in Focus. I'm Eric Friedman, and as always, I'm with my co-host, Andrea Holing. Today, we're speaking with Jonah Becker, who's the Senior Vice President of Design here at Fitbit. Jonah leads an incredible team that drives the design of every part of the Fitbit experience. As an engineer, I love chatting with Jonah and his team. They're as detail-obsessed as I am, but come at problems from such a different angle. Jonah's design team covers everything from the shape and form of our physical devices, all the way up to what you see on the screen of your Fitbit and your phone. I'm always fascinated hearing from the design team. There are so many interesting roles and aspects to the design process that I never realized when into creating a product. We'll talk to Jonah about some of those, along with his background and how he got interested in a career in design. Jonah, welcome to Fit and Focus. Just kick us off. Uh, tell us a bit about your career path and how you ended up at Fitbit. Let's see where to start. I could go back into the early days. Uh, I ended up a designer uh, very much because of my mother, who is still an active graphic designer and is a professor in a design school. Uh, So I was introduced to design as a profession very early on. I chose industrial design as my early and initial focus uh, within the design industry and found my way to Fitbit, I would say, due to the convergence of a lot of things that matter to me. Uh, One, there's a passion that I have for design, which continues to this day, but it was also a nice way to bring experience that I had in both the technology industry, in the health and fitness industries as an industrial designer, and bring those together with Fitbit, which uh, is a company that has a mission to help people with their health. And so that, for me, presented a very, uh, really exciting convergence of uh, experience, passion, and opportunity. And so I'm curious, I, you truncated your, uh, your background a bit. You uh, didn't mention your philosophy major. How do you go from philosopher uh, in robes on a hill to, uh, to design? Yes, I did shorten uh, my background a little bit. It, it has been a longer journey than just uh, leaping from being an 11-year-old in my mom's studio to today. I, because of my exposure to design early, and my mom was very open in exposing me not just to graphic design, which was her profession, but to industrial design, to architecture, to illustration, I was able to see the broader scope. Um, I also knew because of my mom's role as a design educator that design school is also in many ways can be almost trade-like in terms of teaching you the skill sets and the certain processes and ways of thinking about design. Uh, I knew you know, from early on that I was very interested. I, unlike many people, I actually discovered industrial design around the age of 12 and knew that that was something I was very interested in. But I also knew that I wanted to have a broader academic experience, a broader liberal arts experience. Um, I chose philosophy, got an undergraduate degree at UC Berkeley, um, and, you know, minored in art history there to get some exposure to that field and also as a way to learn to talk about art and design, uh, to visually critique and discuss and understand how uh, time and place in history affect art. Um, And those are certainly skills that transferred forward. I think if I think about philosophy as a way to understand points of view, to make arguments, to dissect and understand the world, I think that's an important part of what a designer does, is to think about people, think about the opportunities to challenge and come up with rational arguments for solutions that you propose. 
No, and I always love how you guys design, describe design shapes and design languages. Uh, it feels both poetic and philosophical. And I want to dive into that in a bit. But first, you, you've commented that you're an industrial designer, which does not mean you design factories. Uh, what is an industrial designer and what are other types of major design areas that are different from desi industrial design? Industrial design is the design of physical objects. Um, and people's experiences with those objects. I think a lot of times people will assume that that just means the look and feel, and that is an important part of it in that, you know, in terms of how people hold an object, how they might sit in an object, if it's a larger thing like a car, the emotion that you have when perceiving an object, how an object can capture a brand's identity. These are all parts of it, but I think they, another, another part of it that to me is, equally, if not more important, in terms of the styling side of things, is also the value, the interactions, how you interact with something. How does it, how does it make your life better? How does wearing a Fitbit make you want to wear it more often, want to wear it 24 hours a day, to sleep in it, want to use it when you're exercising, inspire you to make better health choices? That, to me, is a big part of it. It's not only styling. That's some of it, but there's also things like comfort and fit and ease of use and interaction with the product. In terms of your other question about what are other fields of design, I mentioned graphic design, which is often uh, creating identities. It can be for brands, meaning brand logos, things like that. It can be creating signage for buildings. It can be um, designing books and their layouts. It can be designing annual reports. Um, there's obviously a transition over into user experience design or UX design, which is digital experiences. And at Fitbit, digital experiences would include things like the interactions with things that are on the screen of your wearable product or a smartwatch. It would also include things like interacting with a mobile app. Um, what are the things that happen in the digital world? And so my role at Fitbit is very much across, sometimes I will say it's across molecules, which is the physical object. Um, the wearables or scales or other products, and then the pixels, which is the digital experiences. And how exactly does a physical object or a product reflect a brand's identity? You know, there were actually, uh, it reminds me a little bit of some exercises we did in design school, which is a, we had an instructor who said, take a cube, you know, a three-dimensional cube, and you were then instructed to select a brand and design that cube to look like it belongs to that brand. So what that means to me is that I look at a brand and what it should stand for. And if I think about Fitbit, here is a company that is very democratic. Our mission is health for everyone. So it needs to be approachable, friendly. It needs to cut across uh, genders and races and geographies and ages. It needs to be inspiring and optimistic because I think health is a challenging thing. Changing behaviors to improve your health, to improve your fitness is a challenging thing. So we want to capture a sense of inspiration. And I think these are things that we think about when we're creating a, a visual language for products. How do we create something that is not scary? It's not a scary piece of technology. Um, you know, people have often gone into a medical office and you're going in for a procedure. Often those are not friendly looking things, you know. Um, when you're being poked and prodded and having things strapped around your arms and such. We want to create technology that is desirable, that people are comfortable with, that they want to wear. And there are certain forms and materials and colors 
that better communicate comfort. Um, and I think people can look, you know, to the things in their homes and their offices and their environments around them. And you will see that there are very different brand identities that are expressed in physical objects. And so as an engineer, I tend to be very utilitarian. Uh, break that down for me. Like I, I stare, stare at my Fitbit all, all day. How does what you describe manifest itself in a, in a Fitbit? Yeah. So if I think about, um, our recent launch and uh, products like Versa 3 or Fitbit Sense, um, there is a design language that we call biologic. And that is something that is manifested in these new products that we've launched. And if you think about the idea of that as a name for design language, what you hear in there is biology and logic. And what we wanted to do with this is look at the physiology of a healthy human body. If as a company, our mission is to help people with their health to help them achieve healthy human bodies themselves, um, how do we manifest that in our products? And there's a logic in the complexity of a human form. You can think about the organs that are inside, the skeletal and muscular structures that hold it all together, the skin that wraps everything and makes a, in some ways, continuous external surface. Um, And we were looking at how we can be inspired as a design team in that logic not to copy human form, but inspired by the logic of how that complex structure is unified in our products. Um, and so what you will see is a almost tension in the surface that you have, right? Like a, a cube or a sphere does not have tension in the surface. It's very consistent. When you stretch something, when you pull something, there starts to create a little bit of dynamism and a little bit of a sort of a human-like interpretation of form. So for example, with Versa 3 and Sense, we have a tension as you look at the side and the way that the metal uh, body sort of pulls around in a soft way, wraps around the internal components, wraps up softly into the display. I think there are other elements, for example, we talked a lot about, you know, I mentioned that I would like Fitbit to be something that's very approachable as a brand and have our products and our experiences be approachable and friendly and welcoming. Watches historically have been round. And watches have been round because they are mechanical. And if you look at clocks and watches, they have movements that drive the hour, minute, and second hands in a circle. We are now in a digital space. So we have things like messages and we have data and graphs about your health and other kinds of information that we want to display on a screen. Now, the reality is that the way pixels work and displaying that kind of information is much easier to communicate on displays that are rectilinear, the kinds of displays that you see on phones and laptops and TVs. Now, because of the history of watches and wristwatches, there's a comfort with the round form. It's a comfortable, familiar form on the wrist. At the same time, we didn't want to create something that looked like a miniature smartphone or a real obvious piece of consumer electronics on the wrist. So the form of Versus 3 and Sense is what we call a squircle. It's a hybrid between a circle, which is a comfortable symmetric form on the wrist, and a square, which is a uh, form that is easier to display data and information on. So we're looking at how to balance the communication of the information and an effective surface for doing that with the history and the comfort that people have with these softer, rounder forms on the wrist. The way you're talking about our latest products, they look so different from when you joined Fitbit um, in 2015. Tell us a bit about how the shape and the colors and the styles of wearables have had to evolve um, as their use case has evolved over the years. 
Yeah, I mean, I think this is a really interesting question. And having joined Fitbit a little bit over five years ago, one, I would say our our products were quite different and have evolved dramatically over that time. And similarly, you know, I would say as a leader in this space, we've helped drive the industry forward in a significant way over that time period as well. Um, if I think back to that time span, I would say that one, the products themselves were simpler in terms of we had a number of products that did not have any displays. The products that did have displays had small, very simple black and white displays. And now we've accelerated fa- you know, five years ahead where one, um, we have very powerful products, right? If you think about the fact that we have everything from ECG and EDA in uh, Fitbit Sense, um, full color displays, powerful processing, it's, it's been a significant number of steps forward in terms of the capabilities of the products. That change in the technology and the kinds of experiences dictates in some ways what the products look like and how we design around those capabilities. And there is a process of working deeply with the, you know, the research teams in terms of new sensors that they're developing, um, new capabilities, um, working deeply uh, across design and engineering in terms of understanding how do we integrate these technologies in a way that results in fantastic products for our customers. But I think along with that is the change in the industry. Um, I, I recall when I joined Fitbit, there was a lot of talk about this is a wearables movement. Mm-hmm. And I think at that point, and when talk, technologies are newer, I think it's very common for technologies to announce their presence and people who have adopted those technologies to announce that as well. So I think if you think about the products uh, five years ago, there were a lot of you know tracker band form factors. Colors were much brighter at that point. It was a new thing. I think people were very, as we sometimes say, loud and proud. You know, they wanted people to see the bright green, the bright blue, the pink, you know, Fitbit on their wrist and say, yep, I am part of this movement. That's in no way to say that the wearables industry and uh, the health technology industry has not continued to grow dramatically in that time. But I think there's been a comfort level with having technology on your wrist and on your body. And I think because of that, um, the industry has matured and people are now you know, wanting these products to integrate a little bit more seamlessly into their lives. And I think this is a pretty common thing that you see throughout technology, not just in wearable space, that when something is new, it is kind of demanding attention. And then when people become comfortable with that new technology, as you get beyond those first adopters, it becomes commonplace. And people are then saying like, okay, now I want this to integrate into my life. And I think to me, that's actually a very good place to be because that's where we need to be. We need to be on the wrist and around you and a very comfortable part of your life because that's how we deliver value is by being on your wrist, you know, daytime to understanding your activity, your habits, your biometrics, and then also continuing to do that through night, helping you with uh, improved sleep and, and other data collection that we're doing now to sort of look at how we can support, you know, early illness assessments as well. And so I'm curious, you've designed a product that's a uh on both Andrea and my wrists. And while you know, our listeners can't see how Andrea and I are dressed, but pretty much that's the only thing we have in common in our wardrobe. Uh, how do you design for both men and women because Fitbit appeals to both? First, I think for anyone listening... <laughs> Describe um, the outfits. They, they are dressed spectacularly. Thanks, and this is coming from a design professional. You, can, you can't even imagine how amazing these two look. Um, I will say, in terms of how we approach this, in, in many ways, we are looking for some to design something that 
is flexible? Um, and how do we create that flexibility? I think from a hardware standpoint, um, we are looking to create a form, one that has a Fitbit icon. And I, I talked a little bit about that with the Squircle form factor. And we look a lot about the overall product size and what is going to be size of products. It's very appealing to people for different uses, for men versus women, for people with different wrist sizes. But beyond that, I think the the collaboration across the physical and digital is where we really enable people make it their own. On the physical side, we have a broad range of one offerings out of the box. So you'll see different metal finishes and colors. You will see at times we have special editions um, that bring in sort of unique options as well. We have a broad range of accessories so that people can change to a sport band. They can change to something that's maybe part of our partnership with the CFDA, Council of Fashion Designers of America, uh, additional colors of our, our core band offerings. So there's a lot of opportunity to customize the, and personalize the physical aspect. And then you get into the digital where it's, it becomes even that much more flexible. We have a broad range of different clock faces. And if you think about the face being the, you know, in many ways, the core identity of the product, the same way the face of a human is a core identity of a human being. We have a, our design team creates uh, a lot of offerings there. And we also have a, a third-party developer community where we have thousands of options from which people can choose. And so, you know, if I were to, you know, turn Fitbit over and look at the bottom, I know, uh, my team adds all kind of inconvenient requirements about you know punching holes in it for sensing. Uh, we need uh, you know good measurements, so we've got to have a certain shape. It's something so beautiful that we actually showed in a lot of our launch videos of like here's what the underside looks like. I bet most of our listeners don't know how much effort you guys put into kind of the piece of the Fitbit that no one ever sees, but yet touches their body. Talk through that. As someone who who lives in the world of product design and product design at this scale. We literally talk about tenths of millimeters, not just talk about it, but we will battle, you know, over tenths of millimeters. That's not much more than the thickness of a hair, you know? Um, and so these are tiny little amounts, but over time, you know, these little amounts add up. So over the couple of years that you might be developing a product, you want to fight for all those tenths of millimeters because it does make a difference in the overall end result. I would say, and sometimes I tell my team this, um, the difference between design and art is that Design has constraints, and that can make it more challenging, but that's also what makes it what it is. And those constraints are things like physics. You know, when, Eric, when your team says that they need a certain distance between um, sensors to not, uh, you know, not create interference in the light signals and light pathways, that's something that we can maybe challenge and say, are there other ways that we could construct these, you know, work with the engineering teams that we could block things off? Um, but Ultimately, there are things like that that are part of the constraints and the playing field within which we work. We talk sometimes about celebrating that. It's like, let's not, we don't want to hide everything. We like to be sort of very honest. It's like, if here is, we need a hole for a sensor or we need this material for a sensor, how do we integrate that and celebrate it? So, you know, if you're talking, Eric, about wearing Fitbit Sense, there's a stainless steel biosensor hub on the back surface that is part of our, it's also operating as an electrode. It's part of the housing, but it's also the electrode. And we are trying to make the most of that and make in sort of, uh, when I say celebrate it, I mean, we are going to make the layout of the sensors within that electrode as organized and beautiful as possible. We are going to select finishes like the high polish finish that you see on it that really bring attention to that, the technology and the power that that 
part of the product has. We are going to highlight it with graphics that are calling out some of the features and capabilities of that product. So um, I would say actually the team really enjoys that part of the product creation. And yes, there's some struggle in it, but that is, I think, some of the beauty is bringing that together. I know when you guys were designing the electrodes on the top, there are two electrodes and there's a line kind of on each side, it kind of separates the two electrodes so you know, we don't create a short circuit. And I remember seeing presentations of you guys like, do we put the, electric, the brakes on the sides, on the tops, in the corners? It, it's amazing the amount of thought that goes into things like that. Yeah, and it's it's uh, there are designers on the team where I'm I'm at times amazed where you know they said hey we want to review the implementation of the electrodes and it might be that we're looking at you know working with your team working with the engineering team and looking at a number of different mechanical solutions for it but then even you know within uh, within those range of mechanical solutions I'm always shocked at how many different variants you know like hey we've tried it with a the brake you know, between the electrodes being half a millimeter versus 0.75 millimeters. And hey, here we have no radius on the corner of the electrode. And here we have it with a 0.1 and a 0.2 and a 0.35 radius to look at all the different subtle variants. And so, yes, uh, I'm, it's, it's often amazing to see how deep and broad you go to narrow into the final solution. Along with a lot of those intricacies, I think that color and materials and finish is such an important part of the work that your team does. Can you tell us a little bit about the process you guys go through to make sure, you know, these products you were saying fit into everyone's everyday life? Tell us about what CMF even is and and what the team does there. Well, you've done a good job of introducing (laughs) it because CMF, which is colors, materials, and finishes, and we do have a dedicated team, a a team of designers whose specialty is color, materials, and finishes. Um, I think it's really an interesting uh, part of the design process uh, because it tends to be, I would, in many ways, the most visceral. I think people have reactions to colors. And what's interesting is how that changes over time and changes with cultural context. Um, and so what the CMF team is, all, is doing is, one, thinking about what is right for the Fitbit brand. And I would say, you know, if you look at the gaming industry, you will see often aggressive color palettes, blacks and reds and neons and blues. And But Fitbit is about being optimistic and motivating and inspiring you to better health. And part of it is thinking about what is right for the Fitbit brand, and which is also thinking about what is the state of the wearables industry. And then they're intersecting that with global trends, um, thinking about what is going on in the world politically, socially, um, environmentally, um, they, they are doing trend research with agencies around the world that are, you know, looking at these trends and we are doing our own research and, you know, bringing that together to look at the overlap between which of these trends that we see align with Fitbit as a brand. And then there's, once you have that, there's a point of view and, and you can then start applying that point of view to different programs if you think about the Black Lives Matter movement and inclusion and diversity, and just verifying that when we are selecting colors that we are thinking very broadly, are these colors not only colors that are reflecting the cultural context and reflecting the brand, but are also colors that will work across a broad range of skin tones. And that's something we have been doing, and we do that part of our testing, but I think we are sort of doubling down and bringing in new tools to ensure that that's part of our focus. So Jonah, we've talked about the hardware and the UX, but another big part of the Fitbit ecosystem is our mobile app. 
Um, how does your team approach the design of the app and how do users know where to go and what to pay attention to? That is essentially the architecture of our mobile app. And if in some ways, you know, when I say architecture, it means in, in some ways similar to what architecture is for a space that you would live or work in. You want to understand where do I enter the space? What are the important spaces that I would want to visit after entering? And how do they make sense as I'm moving around that home or that office? And so for us, it's a similar thing, which is um, how do I enter our mobile app, which is to our today screen, which is in many ways a dashboard that provides highlights of different metrics and behaviors and where you are. It provides some insights and guidance that is very of the moment that might be valuable. And then we start to think about how do we create an architecture of what other kinds of things might you want to do. You might want to go and discover new features. You might want to discover new programs or workouts. And we have a tab in that navigation that is called, called Discover exactly for that reason, so that people can browse and find things that will help them with their health and fitness. And then similarly, we, you know, you're able to move and there's a place where you can discover social connections and what people like you might be doing. So the, the role of the team is to think about a person's experience, a real, I often say a real person in the real world, because it's very easy to get kind of caught up in the thing you're doing at the moment. But um, I think our users are out there. They have busy lives. They are harried. Health is very a difficult thing. You know, um, investing time in health, making the right nutrition choices, making time to exercise, making time to meditate, ensuring that you go to bed on time. These are difficult things. And so we want to make that as easy as possible in terms of how you are navigating through our mobile app or on our devices, as well as finding the things that will help you achieve the right behavior. And how do you decide what is something that would be more in the mobile app versus on the wrist? Like, how do you find the balance of what information you're serving up to users between those two pieces? That's actually a, a great question and one that is ever-changing. Mm-hmm. You know, I talked a little bit about how much the, uh, the wearables industry has evolved. And if you go back to some of the early Fitbit products that had either very simple displays or even just a series of lights to indicate, you know, your progress on your step goal to, you know, essentially very powerful full color displays and products on your wrist now, that changes the balance of where you spend your time. I think we tend to think of the watch as a way to help motivate you in the moment, Mm -hmm. celebrate you, give you the bare minimum of information that you need from your phone. So to eliminate distraction. So yes, I can get notifications. I can manage those notifications. I can decide whether it's worth pulling my phone out or not, and essentially provide some interference from the phone. Because I think people tend to get lost. What we know is that once you open your phone, you're more often to go elsewhere. Yeah, I just went to check a text message, but now I find myself on the internet and I'm shopping for a new, you know, coffee table and whatever else distracted me along the way. But uh, I think we know that interactions on the wrist tend to be in the matter of seconds. And in some ways that helps us define what belongs there versus what belongs on the phone. And I think as Fitbit has matured, the products and the capabilities have matured, but also Fitbit as a company has matured. And I think we are 
have also, uh, we, we see a lot of depth that happens on the mobile side as well, that we don't want you to get there. We want you to be able to discover, it makes a lot more sense to, you know, f- find a program for, you know, improving your sleep hygiene or to find a, you know, a yoga workout to do in your 30 minutes of free time to dive into our health metrics dashboard, you know, that we're just releasing to understand like, what are my metrics today and what are they saying about my health? And those are things where there's richer graphing, you may have, you know, videos that you're consuming and it makes a lot more sense for that sort of experience to be in the mobile. But we do want to have a seamless handoff between, you know, the wearable on your wrist and the mobile experience and a clear division of labor between the two. What are they, what are they there for? How do you know what users want and like, how how do you test it with users or when do you trust your gut? I think user feedback is absolutely important. Um, And we integrate that into our process. Our UX research team has a process called Research Wednesdays, which is where we bring people in off the street and just get informal research. And it's not meant to be research that helps decide, but it's meant to provide the team with real interactions from people and interactions and reactions to understand how they see things along the way. These are smaller groups of people, so it can help guide, you know, decisions and things that we might test and try out. And then we also get into broader releases where we are testing things across the company and understanding how well features are working. I, at times with design, have used the the term informed intuition, which means that I think you have to balance. You have to balance gathering as much information. And at some point, you have to inject some amount of intuition and you learn. And I think that's one of the great things about software is you can put something out. You can put it out in a small group. You can put it out in a large cohort. You can release it to every Fitbit customer around the world and we will learn. And then we can iterate and we can get feedback, you know, in terms of how we've instrumented and see what people are engaging with and what what features are successful and which ones still need more work. Um, We get, you know, ongoing feedback from user groups. And so it's always going to be a balance. And your user research consists of everything from kind of your formal lab with the two-way mirror where you're kind of having one person kind of sitting someone versus like larger group informal sessions. What, when do you use one versus one tool versus the other? Yeah, I think there's a, uh, there are stages of user research. Uh, I think it begins with formative, which means we are trying to form uh, or create a foundation about an area. And that could mean, you know, uh, you know, in the past couple of years, we've gotten into, we, with our ACE product line, providing wearables and fitness trackers to children. We went into that. We need to understand children, you know, and what are their challenges and how do they think about technology and how do they use technology. We need to spend some time with their parents to understand what are their parents' hopes, dreams, and concerns around using technology and are using and their children's health and fitness. And so, you know, the team goes in and interviews people in their homes and gets a real sense. And this is qualitative research where they are going into, you know, several families' homes and interviewing them and learning about the role of technology, their their perspectives on health and fitness and how technology may or may not help them. And that is, you know, creates a foundation upon which we can start to understand from a physical standpoint in terms of designing the product to the kinds of features and software experiences that we would want to create. It helps inform 
that early concept development process. And then we can move on to evaluating concepts, um, which is where we would, you know, have a different prototypes. And sometimes those are really just putting different paper prototypes in people, some in front of people. And these are the kinds of things where at times we will test these things in the UX research lab that you mentioned with the one-way mirror, where we are, you know, taking through people through an experience and understanding where they are struggling, what they're excited about, what's working well, what's not. And then that helps us refine concepts as we're developing them. So Jonah, looking ahead, what are you most excited about for the future of wearables? You know, especially as we see these devices evolving to become a part of users' health journeys in addition to their fitness journeys. Yeah, I I think it's actually, it's a, a really exciting time for, I would say, the wearable technology industry and for Fitbit in particular. One of the things that for me is the big opportunity is this change in what we do as Fitbit in terms of the value we provide to people. And I would say when I joined Fitbit, it was very much seen as a, oh, Fitbit, that's that thing on your wrist company. And meaning that the the product that you were wearing on your wrist was the main focal point. And I would say some of the mobile experiences, the software services, you know, other things that we offer were in some ways secondary. I think there has been a dramatic change for us where the product that we are giving people is a health journey. Everyone's health journey is different and it is based on who you are. It is based on your genetics and your life and where you live. And everyone's health journey is dynamic, meaning it changes over time. You might find out that you are pre-diabetic and that might change your perspective and your attitudes and the behaviors that you, uh, you know, that support your health and well-being. You might be a marathoner who runs a marathon every month, and you might, you know, be very careful about what you what you eat and how well you sleep. And then, oh, wait, you just hit a busy stretch, you know, at work, and the twins were finally born. And that will dramatically change how well you're sleeping, how much time you have to be a marathoner. Um, and so everyone has ups and downs and changes. And for me, at core for Fitbit is to think about a health journey. And what that means is that the thing on your wrist is not necessarily the central focus. It's a key part of the recipe, but that we curate from our software services and our devices to support the journey. And they have to work very well together. And we are building a system that curates and is always there to provide the right guidance, the right information, the right content at the right time. Well, Jonah, we really appreciate the work that you and your team uh, have done to make these things uh, look like works of art and not look like uh, medical devices. So uh, thank you. And it's just, they're absolutely beautiful. And I really appreciate your time on the show today. Thanks, Jonah. Thank you. And it's been great uh, talking with both of you today.